Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. Welcome to another edition of Pound Time Podcast. I am Brother L. Diazobra, formerly named Lyman White. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for helping put our first, what we call this again, uh, audio slash video podcast together because this is our first time and uh, first interview. We got uh, we got Brother uh, Dennis, who's our first inter- interviewer, and we appreciate him being here today. Pastor Dennis, uh, been a pastor for how many years? Oh, 30 at least. Uh, graduated from New Orleans Seminary in 1983. So, And he's a, fa- he's a father of four children, five, gra- uh, five grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, and he got a beautiful daughter by the name of Elizabeth. She's a special need child, but she's still holding strong. She's still going strong. And, 38 years old. Yeah, we're praying for her every day. She uh, she don't have a very uh, productive life because she's kind of bedridden. Right. But she's still here with him, you know, keeping him happy, keeping him smiling. And uh, he also lost his wife. Pastor Dennis, you lost your wife, Cora, about two, three years ago? Two years ago, coming up on two years in May. Two years ago. And uh, so, uh, so ladies, he, he's single. He's got some ladies out there looking for a single, <laughs> <a> single man. <laughs> and he's in pretty good shape. He's in pretty good shape, too, because uh, we got to know each other very well last year after after two hurricanes. I think it was Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Delta that impacted the, uh, the West side of Louisiana, which is called Lake Charles. There was a lot of damage up there in uh, the Bounding Love Ministry. Uh, Pastor Albert White organized a group of us that we went there almost weekly, sometimes twice a week. Huh, Pastor yeah. Dennis? Yes, sir. We went in there and it was a lot of work. It was hot. It was very hot, but we, we got a lot of work done. Clean a lot of lot of properties, remove a lot of debris, and just, just got it cleaned up where people, can ha- people had access to their homes or even inside of their home because the trees was everywhere. It was it was very, very bad. But Brother Pastor Dennis and I was able to travel back and forth. We wrote, wrote, I basically wrote with him going and coming. And uh, he, and really, I, I knew he was a man of God, of God on heart, and he, he cared for people. It didn't matter about who the individual was. So, uh, And I respected that and I admired him for that. Yeah, again, just to give you a little bit of uh, perspective on, on me and my background, you know, uh, growing up in Baton Rouge, uh, going to an all-white school up until my senior uh, year, in which time there were six young young black students that came. That was the beginning of segregation or integration. I'm sorry. And um, you remember what year that was? It was 1964, and then 65. So the beginning of the year was 64, and I graduated in 65. Where, where, where were you at? Where were you located at the time? Glen Oaks. Glen Oaks. Yes. Where's Glen Oaks located at? Uh, North Baton Rouge. And you know, a- after a time, uh, I-, I went to LSU, graduated, and then I was drafted pretty quickly out of uh, college. And that began an experience of, for the first time, really getting to know Black people uh, and people that I dealt with on a regular basis. Up until that point, I rode through the neighborhoods. <laughs> I did not have black neighbors, but uh, you know we passed through their neighborhoods to get to high school and so forth. 
And the Lord began to deal with me about the relationships as I began to realize, hey, there's really no difference between us. As I got to hear their experiences, it matched my experiences in, in many ways, okay? And so for the first time, getting to know uh, black people, uh, I guess the easiest way to say it is people, okay? Uh, just growing up in the South, you, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, that way. You know, I had relatives that uh, did, not, did not see black people as maybe fully people. And so I, I don't, I, I, that's the best I can describe it. So at some point uh, during that, uh, after I graduated from college, coming back from Vietnam and kind of starting life uh, in general, I, I was convicted at some point. I think I, I realized that uh, Martin Luther King had a big impact on my life. The more I looked back and the more I listened to his uh, messages and um, those those kind of things, I said, "Wow, this I, I have been wrong about a lot of things. I've been taught wrong and just missed a lot of experiences." And so I I, I said to the Lord, "If you will allow me to ever see any of those six people that uh, graduated from high school with me, I would be." more than happy to apologize to them, uh, to ask for their forgiveness. Uh, and I would say it this way, lots of things were done to them, said to them, ugly things. I never said those things and never did anything, but I never tried to stop it either. And so I was in many ways just as guilty. And then that's kind of, that's kind of the same way a lot of people are feeling about that George Floyd incident. Yeah. A lot of people stood on the sideline. You saw a lot of grown men testifying who felt helpless and hopeless that they could not help him or didn't save his life at a time when he was in in need. The man was struggling with uh, someone on the, on his neck. And yeah. these, this is affecting these men right at this at this point in time now. Well, you know, it, it basically was an aspect of, number one, the your heart and your actual commitment to things and the aspect of fear you're around i was around my peers and none of them were going to be the ones to step up you know and if i stepped up then i i was quickly thrown into the other camp and would have been you know hounded and persecuted just like they were so i i of course i wasn't thinking through those things back then but i i think in, in the back of my mind, those things were active. So, in other words, there was consequences for your action if you wanted, to, if you sided with the people that they was going against. Exactly. Same and thing. You knew, that, and you knew there was consequences. Yeah, that that that's the aspect, the the right thing. And once that commitment was made to make those changes and to interact. It didn't matter anymore. I was not concerned about the consequences. I still probably get kickback, but it doesn't bother me at all anymore. You know, I just look at them as being stupid where I was at some point and haven't uh, gotten to a better place. And and the reality was at some point in the early 2000s, I was at the Baton Rouge airport and I looked down the counter 
And lo and behold, at the end of the counter was uh, the, a young man that graduated from high school with me. And when I got through checking in, I walked down there and introduced myself to him. I said, and, and I said his name, are you? And he said, yes, I am. And, and he said, this is my wife. And I said, well, I'm Dennis Blackwell. I graduated from high school with you. And I wanted to, I made a commitment to the Lord. I wanted to come down and apologize to you and ask you to forgive me for the thing, way that we treated you and what, whether I did or didn't. And I didn't stop it. You know, I, I would ask you to forgive me. And he was very gracious, very gracious. And he said, you know, that was a tough time for all of us. He, he was one of the first students at Glen Oaks. His wife was one of the first students at Baton Rouge High. And uh, they were very sweet people. Well, Dennis, that goes along with that. I can't remember that quote uh, that says, evil prevails where good men sit and do nothing. That's exactly right. Exactly so that's right. what had happened. That's what had happened in this incident. Yes, yes. So that in these days they call that accessory to the crime. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> would that would be be true. And and again, it comes to this thing of commitment. There's a decision has to be made internally. You have to make a decision that I'm going to do the right thing, and and you live your life based on that. And so. As time went forward and things opened up, then I, I wanted to step into those places that gave me access. I remember a uh, guy's name is S.M. Lockridge. He was a pastor, a black pastor in Washington, D.C. at Metropolitan Baptist Church. And he spoke at a church in New Orleans. And um he was such a dynamic message. And, and I, I, the conviction I had was when it was done, I realized all of these years that I've been separated from black people, I have missed experiences and information and connections and all of that, that God really, I think, had purpose for me. But because of the mindset and where I was, I missed that. And I went up to him and spoke to him afterwards. I said, you know, I wish that I could have heard the, what you preach 20 years ago. I would have had a, a more in-depth, a, a much more meaningful experience with the Lord because of what you bring to the table. And I still say that, you know, you know, at the, to, to bring us up to where the, the path took me to ultimately meet you was I, I pastored in Grand Isle and I had a friend that came fishing in Grand Isle and uh, he and another friend that owned a camp in Grand Isle brought some uh, black pastors fishing. Uh, one was Eldie's brother, uh, Albert White. One was Bishop Raymond Johnson and one was... Uh, Ivan Lede out of Lafayette. And but let me tell you the first time I met you, and this was a thought I wanted to share. There was a birthday party at Albert's house. And so I go over there and I'm I I, I walk up and there's probably what 40 or 50 people. 
you sitting out inside the, the garage thing there. The garage door's open. I think uh, Adrian's dad was in there. Uh, her brother Mike was there. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I walked over. I'm the only white guy around. I said, I'm looking for Albert White. And uh, I hope I'm at the right place. And you looked at me and you said, eh, I don't know if you're in the right place or not. I said, you know, it might be some white people over there across the street. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm kind of feeling like, uh oh, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, I, I tried to, I, I tried to be light, lighthearted about the thing. And, you know, I think about that time you, you had a little smile cracked your face. I said, oh, okay, I'm being played here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think that was me, Pastor. Did that was somebody else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I, I, I wouldn't do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know. We better that. Really. That. And then your family became just. They just loved on me. You know. And uh, the church people at Abounding Love just begin to love on me and men I loved them that my wife and I would go and she would say, you know, I don't think I've ever been to a church that just loved on me like these people love on us. Well Pastor Dennis, what I what I'm telling you is that they thought you was Kenny Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Once they figured out you were not, you just came in the other guy. They're like, oh, shit. I mean, you ain't nobody of importance. Well, I noticed there has been a little bit of a change. <laughs> <laughs> you could have had anything you wanted. You should have kept the image. But also, let me share this. A couple of weeks ago, I, was, I gave him a call to check on him. Just to, I hadn't spoken with him in a while. <clears throat> And as we was talking, as we were about to hang up, he said, well, I'd like to talk to you, uh, uh, brother. I said, if you got time, I, he said, maybe we can get together next week. I'm thinking, okay, well, it must be something pretty serious. So I said, I'll tell you what. I said, we'll better meet. I'll, I'll see if I can do it tomorrow, which the next day was going to be Friday. I said, we'll get together to, possibly tomorrow. And I had an appointment, so I went to the appointment, and he texted me to see if we was going to be able to meet that day. I said, yeah, we'll better get together. So I called him. We talked about it. He said, uh, he said, we got to come get me because my truck is in the shop. I said, no problem. I'll be over there to pick you up. Went and picked him up. He said, well, I'm going to treat you to lunch. So we went over there to, uh, I was just say, TJ Ribs to get a meal. And we sitting there, you know, ordered our food. And after we got through, I'm saying, okay, you must have a lot on his mind today. Something must be really going on with, uh, with Pastor Dennis that he really wanted to, you know, spend this time. I know he enjoyed being in my company. I know he, he, he enjoyed being around me. But I thought he was in dire need of a very, you know, something going on with him. Uh, I was, I was looking out for him. So when he sit down, so when the waitress leave, he like he couldn't wait. He said, uh, "I just kind of wanted to find out something about your last podcast." <laughs> <laughs> then we started talking about life, and he asked me, you know, and I basically I was telling him that the podcast, why I'm doing a podcast, it just didn't happen. Uh, I'm at this place. I've been at this place, and I just didn't get here. My my years of travel, my years of uh, my own personal experience, where I've been, where I have not been, the things I learned, the people I've learned from, uh, you know, it took it got me where I'm at now. And so I'm thankful that my friend James encouraged me to do the podcast. 
my brother Ab, I've been speaking to me for years about, you know, uh, stepping up, stepping out and sharing what's on my heart. So my brother Ab would really have served a, a, a major purpose. I'm talking about my brother Ab been telling me this for maybe since I was, since 1982. <laughs> so he tell, 1982, he told me something one day that really shocked me that like, what? He, he said, in 1982, I was still playing. Uh, I was with the Atlanta Falcons. He was staying with me. Now you know I had, to, I had to carry him everywhere I went back then. He was staying with me, and he said, uh, "He said I need to talk to you." He hadn't got he had got saved and all this stuff. I said, "Oh Lord, what do you want to talk about?" You know, he was he was at the apartment at the time. He said, uh, "I need to share this with you." He said, "The Lord shared this with me." He said, "You have the spirit of Martin Luther King on you." He said, I'm just telling you, you have the, you have the spirit of Martin Luther King on you. You need to you, you, you need to start focusing on that and, and get your life in order and start working towards what God have called you to do. Now, he told me that in 1982. Uh, for real, for real. That's how long ago that was. He shared 40 that years with me. almost. Oh, yeah. That's how long ago he shared that with me. And it's, ever since then, he's always talked to me about that. But let's get back to, uh, to to you, Pastor Dennis. Is that at that at that luncheon, as we had a uh, we sit there and conversated, we started talking about the the day to day things that's going on, how I progress from from the th- the information that I'm sharing to where I am in life to where you are and how we come together. Then you started. I told you that. I went through, I'm, I'm at the age where I can talk about integration too and how that impacted my life and how the things that happened to me that I'd never forget uh, because we had to go from, I was, to, I wouldn't say I was school, but it was so-called, I like saying a so-called all black school, I guess, for the sake of uh, get some understanding here, that we went to all white school. Then we had to walk through the neighborhood to get there and the people, you know, the first day of school, they cussed me at us, fussing at us. That didn't, we, we young children, we was in the fifth, sixth grade. And we having this type of experience, like, oh, we already knew as growing up in the neighborhood that we couldn't go to certain streets, certain part of the neighborhood, right? Growing up in the, my hometown. <clears throat> but now when they tell you, you got to go to this school, then the people don't want you at that school. Now we didn't know the impact of that, but our, our 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 mother and father understood that, and it affected them because now their children got to go yes. to the school, and they they can't go there to protect us because most of them work for these same people, <laughs> you know. So they in a catch two situation themselves. Yes. So so all these things they were going from 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 that experience, fighting the first year to, in elementary school we fought, for at least one or two years. So you got to remember, we in the fifth, sixth grade, we spent their first year fighting. And after that, I went on to, but yet, but I was, I was fortunate enough, I was a decent athlete. So people came, came and, and picked me out among a lot of my peers and would come get me out of the hood to bring me to baseball practice and, and those kind of things. But also, as I went on to LSU, when I first got there in the mid-70s, some of the same things exist. And I can understand why, as I got older, it might have been of the issues of, of where you come from, 
It also was a combination of these guys didn't want you to take their friend positions. <laughs> you know, so think well, they brought me here to play. I mean, so I, I'm coming here. I'm going to do what I have to do. So it was just a combination of these kind of things that, that uh, brought me through it. But our conversation that that day led up to start that dialogue and about the, the whatever they call racism here. The, 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 I ain't going to say the misunderstanding because this has been going on so long. They had to be, had to been put in place for this reason. So we have to understand that and realize that this just it just didn't happen. But how? But yeah, you know, how can we get from where we at to a better place for everybody? Yeah, I ask you a question. In that process of fourth, fifth, sixth grade back then, you said you were fighting. Did did you ever? Was there ever a barrier let down to where you became friends with with a white kid? Or were you always se- separated? No, we all we all became. We, once we got there, and you, you everybody chose sides, and we had to fight to get from one side to the other, and everybody then you start finding out who can fight, who can't fight, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and once you earn your place on either side, and I was a pretty good fighter, and uh, so. Once you earn your place place on the other side, then we started playing sports together. We had a principal named Mr. Armelin, who was a uh, who they to, they they brought from the same elementary school that we was at. They brought him there, and he he did an awesome job of bridging that gap. He did a great job of bridging that gap, bringing us together, letting everybody see that we all are the same. We just yes. got to figure out how to get along, how to get together, how yes. to get how to come yes. together and work together. Once we started playing, and he, he he started teaching us karate and teamwork, sportsmanship. He done that with everybody in the school. And no, these little tactics and technique helped to bring bring us together. But it's still the fighting still went on for a long time. But I'm thinking that was basically caused by the, the older people. So, you know, you ever go to a little league ball game? Who, who's yelling and 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 the most is the parents. You know? yeah. <laughs> Again, I go back to this thing. It's it's a heart thing and there's a commitment. I, I, I give you a great example. I, I probably said this to you, LD, but my dad grew up in Mississippi. That tells you a lot about him. <laughs> what part of Mississippi? Yeah. Uh, nothing wrong with Mississippi, but you know, from from a standpoint of where the blacks and whites are, okay, it, it was uh, that's where I learned a lot of this. Uh, you're different; they're different, you know. And and as long as they're in their place, you know, everybody knows who's where and what, you know. And that's that's how you get along. But we in our house on Lanier Drive where that flooded and all we had a swing out in front of the house uh, under a little uh, porch there and my dad in his older age in his 80s he would sit on that swing and he would just there and people would ride by people that knew him blow their horn he'd he'd wave sometimes he'd nod off to sleep and somebody blow their horn he'd just raise up and wave he didn't know who he was waving at or anything but there was a couple down the street actually the last name is white and uh, a black couple and they were just 
fine people and they would come around Thanksgiving, bring a pie or a cake, just say happy Thanksgiving, happy Merry Christmas to my parents and all. And um, just the, the sweetest people you would know. And one day, Mrs. White passes and, and blows a horn at my dad and he waves and she goes down and she pulls in the driveway, backs out, comes back and pulls into our driveway and gets out and comes over to my dad and, and says, hey, Mr. Blackwell, said, I saw you sitting out here. Would you mind if I sat with you? And he said, no. Uh, let me tell you, this is this is something that was to me was uh, uh, something I had not seen in my dad. And uh, she sat down and they were just talking, you know, and, you know, I mean, he stretched to be here's he and the black woman sitting in their swing and all these people passing by, you know, uh, he's open. And he, a couple of couple of young black guys are walking down the street, and he says to her, he says, you know, what bothers me is these young young guys here. He said, I don't know what they're up to. I'm concerned, you know, and it it, it bothers me because I'm a little bit of fear. And I think she said about the best thing that anybody could ever say to him. She said, you know, Mr. Blackwell. I, I often feel the same way. I don't know what they're up to either. I said, but you know what? I'm not going to let fear rule me. I have Jesus in my heart, and I'm and He rules over everything. I'm not going to let that fear rule me. And I think that spoke to my dad in ways that he just had never comprehended. And it made a big difference in in his life, the rest of his life. You know, he, he died when he was 92 years old. So uh, it, it was an it was an amazing thing. And when I went and told Miss White that my wife had passed away, she just she just cried, just cried, hugged me. And uh, just a very special couple. And and these are the kind of things that just continue as long as there's a commitment. And I say this all the time. It's a heart commitment. If it's not, if the commitment's not there, you'll let it pass. You won't attempt to do anything. Uh, I had a, a, a guy when I told the story about the high school people. And it was in a, a men's meeting one Saturday morning, and it was a, a mixture. And I shared that story, and he came up to me after, not quite as old as I am, but, you know, an older gentleman. And, and he looked at me and he said, I appreciate your story. He said, but I think it would bear more weight if you ever sought them out rather than just waiting for something to happen that you would actually go and seek them out. And, you know, your pride gets in the way. Sometimes you think, boy, I've kind of arrived. I got a story to tell. And all of a sudden, boop, you know, you get you get pointed at again. Say, so, you know, there's always a place you can improve on it. Always something you can do do better. Look, I'm asking this question here. Uh, what you were saying just now remind me of something else to uh of, of how the things you were taught 
Okay, like we we was basically we came up in a little country town where we was taught to say yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Don't stare at the at, at the other people when they walk in. Just kind of look down, you know. We, we got, but at the same time, my dad didn't play that, <laughs> you know. So, but you're being taught it on one end, and it's, it was a strange place as I think about it, as I've gotten older now, how that had to affect my my mother. And the, the grandparents, my grandmother, because it's not almost maybe it might, might be the same too as you, but they they can t- they telling me to be, you know work hard, you know go out to make something of yourself, be all you can be, and that was always a but, but you know be careful, you know I guess in a way we feared the other people. Because of a, you know, we was taught. My my, I was around for my great grandparents, and they taught me, taught us, shared how treacherous other people were towards them. You know, the misuse, the mistreatment, and and, and also when I grew, when I grew up, my my both all my grandparents, they said it was part Indian, but they never told us what part of Indian they were. They all say we part Indian, and they remember how the how they, their ancestor was treated. So they they always want you to be careful, and like it's the same thing today. We got to, we got to still have that talk with our children this day. Like when you go out, you got to be careful. Not because of I mean it's it's on all sides. Not because we all killing each other, the, the police killing us. So it's 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 a bad situation that also got to be dealt with and corrected. You know, because we got to work with through this process. But with the police killing us, with the system killing us, and all the hanging that took place. Uh, and, and not in my days, but you know, I heard about the thing. Right. So I'm asking this here, where uh, we was taught one thing. I like to share with. I want you to share with us what you was taught on the other side. Then. You know, I I I think I probably shared this with you that day at lunch, and this may have stirred the, your thinking on it. Was that I was taught to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, but not to black people. And I, I, it was not. Uh, I, I had an aunt that was, rest her soul, she's, she was as bigoted as probably anybody I, I ever knew in my life. And, you know, to say that, call a black woman a lady was out of her element. No, you do not call a black woman a lady. They're not, you know, they, they, they don't meet that title. And I never understood that, you know, and I, uh, the older I got, the more she tweaked me in the wrong way. And I came to the point, uh, it's probably disrespectful, but I came to the point whenever she was around, I would say things that would tweak her and I'd get her so mad she'd leave the room. (laughs) She, She was just spouting her vitriol, you know, and, and I just couldn't stand it anymore. Sound like she provoked you to righteousness. Yeah, you're right. She she really was. And and I prayed for her and 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 she had she had a rough life, you know, she chose the wrong husbands and a lot of things, but that that that, that wasn't an excuse. And, and so again, this commitment in the heart, I, I think a lot of people Caucasian people want this to kind that they have learned some things. They feel like they have come 
a long ways in how they were taught and grew up, but they wanted to just kind of be over with. And they don't understand or don't want to understand that to say, can we just get along, means that you just want to cover up how we're still being treated, how we're still going through things, and you don't want to acknowledge it. You just want to somehow get past it and not pay a price to try to make this make it different. Am I making sense? That's amazing, because even to this day, from the 1950s, the Jews still resent the Holocaust Hitler in that whole regime. But, you know, that's, that is being dealt with. Now, that happened in a whole other country. <laughs> well, you know, I have, I, I have Jewish friends that were not told they were Jewish when they were growing up because they knew that they would be persecuted. Now, the problem with you, your skin color was, you know, kept mm-hmm. you who you were. You couldn't hide from that, but they were their parents would actually try to keep them from going through difficulties. Even though your parents were trying to keep you saying, right. "Be careful, watch what you're doing," and so forth. But there's there's people out there that uh, you know have evil in their heart. Well, let, let me tell you, you told a story about uh, about your auntie. Uh, but you know, not saying calling a, a, a one of uh, calling somebody a lady. I mean, when I was a, when I was a young boy, we must have been like eight, nine years old, maybe ten, different ages. And my grandmother, who worked for this lady, asked us to come over there and clean her yard. And we went over there to clean her yard and uh, had a bunch of leaves. That time of year, when the fall, when the leaves was falling, so we went over there, raked up all the leaves. I mean, we worked two, three hours sweating bags, bags and bags of leaves. And the strange thing, two things happened that really made us mad. The young, the, the child that was there, my grandmother, I'm telling you my grandmother, the child there called my grandmother Reem. And that that irked me like, how wow, this child called my grandmother by her first name? You know, that, that just didn't sit right with me. And, and that's, I, I couldn't figure that one out. How he going to call my grandmother by her first name? Uh, uh, he must have been my age at the time. So then when we finally get through working up the leaves, the lady come out there. The lady name was Miss Cat. <laughs> Miss Cat come out there and give all three of us, all three or four of us, she gave us an ice cream sandwich and 25 cents. And we left there mad because we thought we'd get at least a dollar a piece, right? We, we sit there, we gonna rake all these leaves. And she gonna give us an ice cream sandwich and 25 cents. And I had one of my cousins, bless his soul, he 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 gone on. Uh he he he, he didn't play that. So we walked down the street. I remember my grandmother worked for the lady, so my grandmother go back. And he said, Look, I'm going back over there and throw them leaves back out. We said, No, man, don't do that. Girl, don't come here. We were all man. We all went back through all them leaves back out of, back out of, in the yard, and of course my grandmother, you know, she was mad at us. But you know, we we felt we felt played as young boys. You know, yeah. twenty five ice cream sandwich, all that work we done done. So she could, in other words, she she thought very little of us and what we done. Yes. And did, didn't show no appreciation. Then the child, the child will call my grandmother by his, her first name. Like, 
So we all had our we had our different experience, but they in a lot in a lot of ways it was the same experience. They affected us. It affected you in one way, it affected me in a whole nother way. Right, exactly. You know, so the, impact, the impact of all this and the thing about it, the things that I was the, from bringing people from another country to this country, just the impact of that. And we know most people was young when they brought them over here. They say between the age of 12 and 18 back then. And our ancestors, even to this day, has been traumatized uh, to and get no help. To, and still this day, we haven't gotten no help. There's a shooting somewhere. People act, people bring in people to give them uh, psychological help, uh, you know, to talk with somebody because, you know, it affects you. So the things that we are still dealing with that is still affecting us, that we still haven't gotten any, what you call this again, restitution or any, To I mean, I guess a lot of times we're waiting for people just to say, I'm sorry, but it's to the point now where that's not even enough, you know, because you keep doing the same thing, so... Let, let me add something here, LD, that, uh, you know, this, this is my preacher side coming out, but it's something that I experienced at Abounding Love uh, almost two years. It was after, after Cora passed away, and uh, Pastor Adrian put on, a, on Wednesday night, put on uh, four or five different classes, and one of them was a, a grief class. If you had suffered grief and you, you wanted to uh, learn a process of working through grief, you would go to this class. And they invited me, said, why don't you come and, and go to this class you know, and be, participate? And I said, yeah, I think that would be good. I'd like to do that. The first night, uh, it was me and I think it was me and Brother Jesse. And then I think there was like six or eight women in there. Again, I'm the only white guy, you know. And so the the host lady, she started sharing, shared a little bit about her background. And it didn't take but two or three of them sharing that there was this huge thing that rose up in me. My goodness, every one of them had experienced in their family or close, close friends, murder. Every one of them, father been murdered, brother been murdered, cousin been murdered, sister or brother been murdered, next door neighbor been murdered. You know, all of this, somehow they had experienced the, a murder, you know, as part of their grieving process and and it just astounded me i had i literally had to back up and that whole week after that played on my mind i don't know anybody i don't know anybody that's had a family member murdered you know in this in 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 white people's lives okay i don't know it just was now, I've, I've had a distant relative that had three people come to her home. She was 70-something, 80 years old, and they murdered her. But she was not close to me. It, it, and yet, as I, as I processed that, I looked at these ladies and Brother Jesse and listened to their, their conversation and recognized how strong they were what they had come through, and yet they still were committed 
to serving the Lord. They still were committed in their faith, and they had not lost faith. They they now they struggled. Yes, they still struggled, but it was that strength. And I and I recognize going back, all the the old Negro spirituals came out of that those difficulties, and that's what strengthened them, you know, and that's what I think why I, when I talked to S.M. Lockridge that night, you know, and his preaching, the way he preached, it was the emotion that came out and the way he presented it, that it was a lifetime of stuff that he had gone through, and, and, a, and a, a background of historical, like that was coming out, but it had strengthened him, and and I I, I just say that that's why I want to cross the barrier even more because I'm going to miss out on some strength from people that I, 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 that God has placed in a position that I can get to know. And if I if I just say, oh, the, the racism's getting bad, and boy, the, the times are bad, and uh, I, I you know to to try to cross this barrier puts me at risk or whatever, I've deti- I've determined. I'm willing to take that risk and cross that barrier because there's too much to lose. That's a very profound statement. And I guess it reminds me of the statement I heard years ago. And as a, as a people, we basically was taught this because we were dealing with so much on a daily and a regular basis. Just to survive is a, requires a whole lot. Yeah. And dealing with other aspects of life and people, but we were basically taught that it's not what you're going through, it's what you're going to. And that's what gave us a lot of hope and uh, life to keep moving forward. Amen. We Amen. kept thinking a better day going to come, but it, it don't ever seem like it got there. <laughs> but, for <laughs> <a lot> of, <laughs> but for a lot of people that have, and many cho- chose to, to keep on going and leave it behind, which that, that's, that was their choice. But unfortunately, if you don't resolve something, you know, just keep festering and, you know, it, can, it can just yeah. grow. And that's, that's what is still going on in this country to this day. I and think what your brother said to you 40 years ago, the spirit of Martin Luther King is upon you. I think if you were to evaluate your impact on people, you would be surprised today compared to 20 years ago or 30 years ago, who you're impacting that you wouldn't have impacted back then because of the, the, the changing times to some degree and your willingness to be out there, you know, and, and the connections you've made. And they're not all black connections, are they? No, no, I've been, you know, God, God has put me in some unique places. Yes, and that's, absolutely. And that's, why, that's why you and I are here. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. And th- I think there are more, there's more opportunities out there, and I think God wants to just expand on what you and I are, are, are experiencing, what Albert and Adrian and I and my wife experienced as, as getting to know each other. Uh, James, you might not know this. Um, Adrian spoke at my wife's funeral, and uh, just uh, people that were there said uh, the the lady that shared said she was just right on target, you know, and, and did such a great job. So uh, I I appreciate these things. 
Oh. Ten minutes. <laughs> that's good. I hope that's good. <laughs> wow. So, so we 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 right on time. So we doing our own little narrative yeah, yeah. of life and what's going on, and we're gonna start closing where we can get ready for to hit a verdict. Uh, do y'all want to wait to hit a verdict and continue talking about it? <laughs> so, but going back to what what you were saying about uh, about the society, I guess what they call what they call systemic, which the word is system, right. you know of uh, continuous keeping people in a, in their place and they worked hard to do this and continue working hard to do it. And as I, and I guess with the story you told about your, your auntie, I have to think that's what's going on in, in this, in this work, in this country, because the people that, the, that you've done the most harm against are the one you most fear. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. somewhere somewhere in in, in somewhere in, the, in those people's psychics they have to feel that you know you can't do a, unjust to somebody to another human and inspect to go through life without no other no no uh no consequences so I, and I, i'm a, i'm gonna have to believe that a lot of other people i believe a lot most people live in fear uh, my side of people live in fear. To, to, to a lot of us, the white man has been has been a, a thorn in our side, and and has continued to kneel and put their knees on our necks, and to, and we hoping that this time that all people can come along, come together, and work to get past this, because it, we it's, that's why we call it count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. Because that day is coming, that day is here, that we're all going to be held accountable and responsible for your own action and for those who know that you could have made a difference. Like the, uh, in the George Floyd situation where these people stood there and couldn't do, didn't do anything. I mean, that's, that was tough. That was tough. So how, how did the, let me ask you, Dennis, how did the George Floyd thing, how, how does it, how does it affect you? How do you see it? Where are you at with the George Floyd situation? You know, it, 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 that's a good question, and I, and I was wanted to respond in the sense, this sense that number one, I've discovered that we're going to come at this from two totally different perspectives. You know, uh, I'm coming at it from a place that I've never really experienced that kind of um, whatever violence towards me or in general towards my friends. And most of the time when somebody experienced that violence, uh, we look, usually look at them and say, well, you deserved what you got, you know, because you, you disrespected the police officers or whatever. Uh, so, and what I have learned is that I have to recognize that you and I are gonna come at it from different perspectives. I want to be open to learn from each person as they approach these things um, because they were looking at them through different lenses of, of history, different experiences that we uh, grew up doing. I, I think in all of these cases, I, I didn't listen to the trial. I didn't pay um, sit there and be glued to it. But I think there's always... Uh, a lot of information that most people will not hear, 
even after you watched and listened to the trial, I guarantee you there's information that didn't come out one way or the other because that's the way our judicial system works. Defense attorneys are going to try and keep some things out. Prosecutors are going to try and keep some things out. And so you're not always going to hear the thing. Uh, I, I think if if there was any reality to to him doing this just for meanness or whatever, he ought to pay the heaviest price there is. With these kind of things that that you can you stay mad or you stay upset or whatever, you know, you got to keep praying, you got to keep trusting in God, and and every day, I can't affect. I'm not on TV to affect hundreds or thousands of people, but I affect everybody that I come in contact with. And I'm going to make sure that I speak good things to those people that I come in contact with. And sometimes they they may not, they may ignore me sometimes, they may not accept my approach to them, but I'm going to do what I can one-on-one every day. That's a good comments. And right now, we're not concerned about nobody political affiliation, parties, none of that kind of stuff. But there, there. Let's say the situation with George Floyd. Uh, okay, okay. Let's say you say if he disrespected the police officer, you know, you still, it's not worth killing nobody. But right. But as we grew up. We was killed for disrespecting a person because there was a white man, a white woman. You know, you're right. So, so it's like, like for us, where where does it start? Where where does it even end? I agree. So you know, we we've been in this in in this cycle or, or, or this country. I mean, even 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 us who was who was here already, you know, still fighting just to be a part of this. Of a system that uh, that's been so one-sided, you know. And I'm, we, glad we, I'm glad we are here to have this discussion and had a discussion to get a to get another side because uh, you know we we as a people are always talking about our side, our perspective, but we very rarely hear someone like you speak from your side of apart from the place of honesty and uh, and want to make a difference. You know, most is just a little shadow, a, a, a very shadow perspective of, of uh, just give you a little information. You know, just to just to say, well, you know, we want to make a difference, want to do right, but you know that that but right. thing again. Right. And I, and I appreciate you for being uh, for sharing what's on your heart. And uh, and no, no, we're not concerned about political affiliation. You know, what yeah. as, as a man, you shared your heart. You spoke. You spoke. Where you were at, even to share about your auntie and your your dad, yeah, and and where they were at. Is there some things you can think of that uh, your experience coming up that you was being taught one thing when it came to a group of people, but you decided to go another direction? Did that that was mostly through your life, or that's just something that as you got to be in high school, you, you thought that something was wrong about that? Yeah, I think it it was a it was a process that. You know that Martin Luther King and integration forced uh, forced us to look at ourselves from a different perspective. It, it forced on us to get to know somebody that we would not have taken the time to get to know. We were forced to recognize somebody uh, and and as as a person of 
interest to, or not just to get to know them and who they are. They were forced on us, but as you got forced on, you begin to discover, hey, this is a nice guy. This is a nice lady. This, you know, they have similar issues in their lives that I do. Why are we separated? You know, to, to give you an idea, growing up Southern Baptist, we we are mission minded, and and this is the this is the crux of a matter that it makes no sense. We sent missionaries to Africa telling Africans about Jesus, telling Africans to get saved. We spent big money to send them over there, darkest of Africa, and we wouldn't let the people down the street come walk into our church that were Africans. You know, I mean, you, you, when, you, when you really look at it and be honest, it makes no sense. I'm surprised God didn't just go, and we were all just vaporized. <laughs> well, well, you know what, what, what Pastor did is, as I've gotten older, I can, you can't you can't get mad because you say they sent missionaries. So the word is mission. Their mission was to keep people where they were at. <laughs> so we get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, that, that was their mission. They was followed. They followed through their mission. Well, to keep, it wasn't keep people where they were. In, maybe geographically, you're right. But but from a spiritual standpoint, they wanted to bring them somewhere else. You know, they wanted to uh, get them to uh, the truth of what what God's word said. But yeah, I, I can see how you would take it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, ain't another way to take it. I don't think. I don't know. You think it's the whole world, but. <laughs> you got you know? me. You got me. Uh, well, I got you. Okay, well, I'd accomplish something in there. But, uh, you know, I guess I, I like studying words now. And when you start learning what words really mean, you yeah. realize that. This system got everything in place just the way they planned it. Yeah. It, it, it. It just didn't happen now. None of this stuff just happened. But Brother Pastor Dennis, I mean, as usual, we always have a great time when we go, when we commune, when we come together in fellowship. You've always been straightforward. And uh, you just, you've been a great man. And I've learned so much from you. I've learned your heart. I've, learned, I've got a chance to know your son, Joel, who is an awesome young man. Who probably gonna be getting married pretty soon, right? August the fourteenth. I mean, when I tell you this young man at twenty, how old is he? No, 33. Oh, he like Jesus then, huh? He go. He come to the kingdom of heaven. Now he found him a wife, found him a good thing, and he obtained favor from the Lord. Huh? Yes, yes. And he have he have he have stayed the course. Yes, you need to understand yes. what I mean by stay at the course. He waited for this young lady, and they waited for each other, and they're two beautiful people. Yes. And she made good, uh, what, what that was again, uh, chocolate chip cookies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did make yeah, good. Great chocolate yes, Yeah, so, you know, I said, I, and thank you for welcoming to your homes on several occasions. Uh, yeah, Lyman, let me, uh, LD, let me just make this this comment and, and pray uh, before we finish out that, that God will take what we said, what we've shared here, and use it to his honor and his glory and to do 
what we hope or is intended here is to to be a light in darkness and to bring people together. And, and Father, I just pray that with these gentlemen and ask that uh, we would be the light that you have put in us, that we'll let it shine, that we'll be the salt of the earth, and that we will not allow the enemy to distract us from loving one another. We are committed to love one another. And uh, I thank you for these men, and I bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. And also, I want to make sure you, you share that you had a church in uh, Grand Isle. Grand Isle. I'm, I'm not the pastor there anymore. I've turned that okay. over to a young man that grew up on the island. And, and how long were you, were you pastoring that church? Up until really officially up until last year. When you started pastoring it? Pastoring it. We, we moved down there the 4th of July weekend, 1983. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a long time. Long, a time. long time. Long time. That's a long time. So you just, you just go there for the weekends? I, after after Katrina, we lost our house after Katrina, or during Katrina. We lost everything. What we didn't load up in our vehicles and, and take. Uh, and moved back to Baton Rouge where I grew up. My dad was still living and uh, moved in with him. You know, he, he's probably saying to his friends, well, you know, the kids, they come home, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> and um, then he passed away in 2011, 2016. We lost everything again in the flood of 2016. But, you know, God has been faithful through all of that. Uh, I, I, I did lose my wife in 2019 but uh, I know where she's at I'll see her again and I've uh, been blessed and to have you guys as friends is is a tremendous blessing but thank you thank you thank you so much well we just, uh, we thank you for, uh, Pastor Dennis for being and being a part and participating on Count Time thank you for being a part of our podcast our first interviewer uh, and hope we do this again once we get this thing to moving, Pastor Dennis. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you. You're welcome. God bless you guys. All right. And always remember this here. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in once again to Count Time Podcast. I'm Brother L. Diazobra. Thank you once again. Remember, it's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted.